In (coughs) Copenhagen, Denmark, there is a bronze statue of the Little Mermaid from Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Mermaid fairy tale. Uh, And this this statue was uh, created in 1913 by Edvard Eriksson. And the citizens of Copenhagen love the Little Mermaid. This is, you know, a a beautiful piece of artwork in their harbor. They're proud of it. Uh, But it has become a focus for a lot of vandalism. In 1964, the Little Mermaid's head was cut off. Never to be recovered, and so they had to uh, replace it with a, with a new bronze head. Twenty years later, the right arm was sawn off, and then two days later, it was returned. In 1990, someone else tried to cut off the head, uh, failed, but left a large gash in the neck. In 1998, the head came off again. Uh, the culprits were never found, but the head was anonymously returned uh, a week later. In 2003, somebody blew the Little Mermaid off the rock using explosives. They uh, drilled holes in the wrist and knee, and boom. And uh, right now, I believe it's under a, uh, a thorough uh, restoration process. And then many times, people have come and uh, defaced the Little Mermaid by pouring paint all over it. Now, as you can imagine, This angers the citizens of Copenhagen who love the Little Mermaid and uh, take personal joy and pride in it, and then people come along and are marring uh, the statue that they love. Well, we are in a series called The God Who Is There, and we've been marching through the Bible uh, and uh, discovering what God has revealed about Himself to us, and today what we're going to see is that The God who is there is angry. He's angry because this beautiful creation that he made and he said it is good. And the humans created in his image and he said they are very good. Sin is marring his creation, his artwork, and it's making him mad. Now the Apostle James, in chapter 1, verse 20 of his letter tells us that uh, there is a difference between the anger of man and God's anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, James says. And I want to point that out because when we say God is angry, uh, that that can make us a little bit nervous because we've all been victims of human anger that was not at all righteous. Uh, and actually was very unhealthy, very destructive, and we've all experienced that kind of anger. And so when we think, wait, God has that kind of anger? That doesn't seem healthy. I don't like that. And what we're going to be talking about today is God's anger, and we're going to see that His anger is actually a very healthy thing, uh, and uh, we must understand it and respond to it appropriately. There are many biblical texts that talk about uh, the anger of the Lord, and we're going to focus our attention now on Revelation chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there. Revelation chapter 14. Revelation is 
apocalyptic literature. The Bible has multiple genres, has history and poetry and uh, prophecy and apocalyptic literature, and each genre requires reading it with uh, some, uh, some unique interpretive tools. So when you're reading uh, a poem in the Bible that says, the mountains and the hills, they clap their hands, we don't feel required to believe that mountains and hills have hands, right? We understand this is poetic genre. Well, apocalyptic uses a lot of symbolism. Uh, it's often talking about spiritual realities for which we have no earthly experience, but it uses earthly language to talk about heavenly realities, and that puts us into a lot of, uh, a lot of symbolism. So with that in mind, we read Revelation chapter 14, starting in verse 14. The apostle John is being given visions of the future, and he tries to describe them to us. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. So you have to visualize this. Here's this cloud, and sitting on the cloud is someone who looks human, who's wearing a crown and has a sharp sickle in his hand, a sickle. That's an instrument used to harvest wheat. And another angel came out of the temple. So there's a temple in the scene. An angel comes out, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. This is not a vision about a giant wheat harvest. This is talking about the harvesting of souls. And the one who is like the Son of Man sitting on the cloud is our Lord Jesus Christ. And the angel who comes out of the temple, that means the angel has come from the presence of the Father, and the Father is the one with the timing of all. And so the angel comes out because the Father has said, it's time. It's time for this world as we know it to end, and it's time for that great day of judgment to come. We are told it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. There is an appointed time of judgment coming. And that's the point of this vision of the first harvest. It's that we, we are not uh, Hindus. We don't believe in um, time and history just cycling and cycling endlessly. No, there is a beginning, and it's marching forward to an end, and we know what that end is. It's the day in which we will all stand before our Creator and give an account to Him for the way that we have lived our lives. And Jesus will be that judge of all the earth. Then verse 17, a second vision. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle. Angels often speak with loud voices. They use their outside voice. 
Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Again, this is not talking about a, uh, a grape harvest, but rather a harvest of souls. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia, which I believe is 185 miles. So what's a winepress? Sabrina and I were in Israel a number of years ago, and we got to see uh, an old winepress, and it was carved out of the rock. And uh, there was a, a large depression it wasn't very deep, about that deep, but it was large. And uh, into that depression, all the grapes would be uh, tossed. And the servants would then uh, take off their sandals and walk all over the grapes and squish them. And so, as you can imagine, the bottom of that uh, depression starts to be fill up with juice. Well, there were a few little channels carved at the bottom of the depression, and the juice would run down those channels and then drop into uh, a large vat. And so, but we're not talking about grapes here. We're talking about people. And so, who's being, uh, you know, who are the grapes? The grapes are the wicked. The wicked are being collected, they're being tossed into the winepress of God's wrath, they're being trodden upon, and uh, the blood flows as high as a horse's bridle for 185 miles, which is, tells us there is a whole lot of destruction happening, a whole lot of people who are being thrown into the winepress of God's wrath. This is a very violent, uh, arresting and scary image. Again, it's apocalyptic literature, so it's undoubtedly symbolic, but it's trying to say something. These visions are saying something. These visions are saying there is going to come a day of judgment where we will all give an account of our lives to the Lord, and many, many people are going to find themselves crushed under the wrath of God. Why? Because they have not fled to Jesus to take shelter from the wrath of God. Jesus' death upon the cross is not paying the penalty for their sins because they have remained obstinate in the face of the good news of Jesus. Well, with that as a background, I now want to talk about uh, five, five things about uh, the anger of God. Number one, God's anger is the, re is the proper uh, response to evil. By the way, if you like to take notes, in the, on the back of your bulletin there are fill in the blanks so you can follow along. It's the proper response. <clears throat> Imagine that uh, someone at your workplace has just lied about you. They've completely fabricated an untruth. They've spread it around. You've lost your job. Not at all true. They just were spiteful. They wanted you out of the way so you couldn't compete for uh, advancement against them. Uh, and, and so you've lost your job, and you're, you're now sitting down with your friend, and you're telling them about what's happened at work. 
Can you believe this? You know, it's not true. They made up a lie. They spread it around. The, the management believed it, and I'm out. And what response do you want from your friend? You certainly don't want him to be apathetic, right? Oh, that's interesting. Hey, did you watch the Broncos playing the... You'd be like, what? what are you talking about? This is a, an injustice, an evil that's been done. You don't even want them to just be sympathetic. Man, I'm really sorry about that. That's a bummer. No, you, you want them angry. What? I cannot believe this happened. What are we going to do about this? Somebody's got to let the management know this person shouldn't be allowed to continue working. You need your job back. Anger is the proper response to evil. Anything less is inappropriate. Uh, justice demands that evil be punished. And righteousness demands that evil offend. Bob Pierce, who started World Vision and also the Samaritan's Purse, he's uh, famously prayed, Lord, break my heart with the things that break your heart. That's a great prayer. That's a great prayer. There's a lot of evil in the world. And I don't know about you, but I find myself being uh, apathetic to too much of it, overwhelmed and not knowing how to uh, properly uh, respond to it. And God responds perfectly with the perfect emotion to every evil done to, to you, by you, and throughout the entire uh, world. But will we pray that? Maybe today your takeaway is to pray, God, break my heart with the things that break you, your heart. Um, I want to feel uh, toward evil the way you feel and toward injustice and suffering the way you feel. Number two, God is always in control of His anger. That's not true with us, right? We, we often get out of control. In us, anger, we talk about people burning with anger. They get hot behind the collar, and, and uh, we will often... Uh, anger is like a flame that gets out of control and becomes a wildfire in our life, and we're carried along by our anger, and, but not so with God. God is always in control of his anger. In fact, the, the Bible talks a lot about um, God's anger being stored up in the cup of his wrath, uh, and he's in charge of that. When something evil is done in the world, God, God has an angry response to it, and that anger gets put into the cup of his wrath, and it is stored up for the appropriate time. We know God's in control of his anger because he waits until the right time to pour out his wrath upon wickedness. And we have not yet seen it. So in Revelation, it's said that at that great uh, coming day of wrath, the cup of God's wrath will be poured out undiluted, fully, upon wickedness. And it'll be a terrible day. So God is fully in control of His anger, and I wish that were true of all of us. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, we read this. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. There are, 
if evil is done around us, it's actually appropriate to be angry about that. But do not sin. Whenever you are angry, Satan is right there sensing an opportunity. Ooh. She is, she is under the influence of that angry emotion. And so I have an opportunity to tempt her to do evil, to do wrong. And so you're, you're angry and, and the evil one says, hey, how are, good, how are they going to know how they've made you feel if you don't curse a little bit? You've got to drop some F-bombs here and shock them, right? Otherwise, they're not going to, to get it. And the Bible says, let no unwholesome thing come forth out of thy mouth. Or, you know what? They're going to keep doing it to you if you don't smack them around this time. See how that works? When we are angry, hey, if our anger is at a true injustice, that emotion is not wrong. But that emotion is uh, dangerous. The evil one realizes, hey, I have an opportunity here to take that flame and turn it into a wildfire that gets out of control and does great damage in their own lives and in the lives of those all around them. So when you are angry, recognize you are in danger. So be very careful. You know, the Bible tells us to avoid people who are angry. Proverbs chapter 22, verses 24 and 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger. So this is a person who's, you know, they're, they're an angry person. They're characterized by uh, giving in to, those, to their anger. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. In a snare. You hang around with angry people, and uh, they rub off on you. So I have two unmarried daughters. Do not marry an angry man. That's a, that's a thing you're looking for as you're dating. Is this guy self-controlled? And if you are in relationship with uh, an angry person, the Bible says do not rescue them from the consequences of their anger. Angry people will often get themselves in trouble. They lose their job. They burn bridges. Uh, they, might, uh, they might end up getting in trouble with the police. Do not rescue them because they must feel the consequences of their anger in order to learn Proverbs 19, 19, a man of great wrath will pay the penalty. For if you deliver him, you'll only have to do it again. So this is a big deal. God is in control of his anger. And he wants us to be self-controlled as well. Anger that uh, manifests itself in sinful deeds and sinful um, Words is destructive. It does not produce the righteousness of God, as James says, right? The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so uh, we need, as Christians, we need to prioritize self-control. And uh, if we are 
You know, this is something I've really had to work, uh, work with. My I, I guess I'm a hot-headed by nature. <laughs> and, and this is, I'm speaking to myself first. I've had to really work on not letting uh, the evil one, not, not becoming, being an angry person. Number three, God's anger is provoked by unrighteousness. God's anger is provoked by unrighteousness. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So what makes God mad? Uh, the wickedness of people and only the wickedness of people. That's the only thing that makes him angry. Uh, that's not true of us, right? Uh, we, are off, we often have uh, many other re reasons for getting angry. Uh, it could be, hey, what I care about most is me and getting my way. And the Bible tells us we're to love our neighbor as ourself and consider others above yourself. Uh, so I, let's imagine this. Imagine uh, just hypothetical. Hypothetical is uh, a guy gets angry, or let's say it's me. I get angry, and I have the ability to accurately diagnose the source of my anger. It might look something like this. Half of my anger is a response to a true injustice. Yeah, something has been done uh, that's bad. And so, well, half of my anger is a response to a true injustice. But a quarter of my anger comes out of a desire, a narcissistic desire to be on top. 10% is, flows out of a distortion of reality. So I've, uh, I'm misremembering, right? I'm thinking a little inaccurately about what actually happened. And then, you know, 15% is from displaced hostility from the past. I'm, I'm extra agitated by what's happening because of what's happened to me in the past. And you know what? So, uh, we need to diagnose our anger. When you're angry, you've got to ask yourself, why am I angry? <laughs> and is this truly righteous anger? Is it all righteous anger? <clears throat> God once asked the prophet Jonah, is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? <laughs> I love that. Jonah was angry, and he was angry at God because Jonah wanted the Ninevites to be destroyed. And God was going to have compassion on the Ninevites. Jonah resisted. God sent Jonah to go to Nineveh and tell him, 40 days and the judgment of God is going to fall down on your city. And Jonah ran away. He didn't want to do that because he knew if I tell them that God's judgment is coming, they might repent. And if they repent, God, he's just so compassionate. He's probably going to forgive them. So he runs to Tarshish and God swallows him with the whale and all that. And then he... Finally, he, he begrudgingly, I can just see him, 40 days and you're going to get destroyed. And he's not wanting people. It was like the preacher who tried his best not to, you know, have an impact. And yet the people repent and, uh, and now God's being merciful to them. And Jonah is angry. And so God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Diagnose your anger, Jonah. And uh, Jonah in his anger says, I I absolutely I'm absolutely right to be angry. I'm so angry I could die. And that's, and that's right. You see, <clears throat> God is angry when things are not as they ought to be. 
We get angry when things are not as we think they ought to be. Our perception. But our perception is so often wrong. There's a great story in the Bible where Jesus heals somebody on the Sabbath in a synagogue, and the synagogue leader, rather than praise the Lord and honor Jesus, gets angry. Hey, you're not supposed to do work on the Sabbath, so healing on the Sabbath is wrong. That's not the way it ought to be. But that synagogue leader was wrong. His perception of what ought to be was often so often is our perception of what ought to be. So, we need to diagnose our, angry when, our anger. When you're anger, angry, be asking yourself, is it right for me to be angry? How much of my anger is truly righteous anger? And how much of it is out of uh, me just prioritizing me? How much of it is a possible misreading of the situation, other things. And when, when I do that, when I wrestle myself to the ground and truly ask, why am I angry? I, I often find that there is uh, some impurity in my anger. And, and actually, that, you know what that does? It humbles me and it helps dissipate my anger. Because all of a sudden, I'm not just focused on you know, my anger. I'm, I'm also feeling a little bit, oh yeah, Lord, I'm sorry about that. I am a little bit selfish, aren't I? Yeah, and so all of a sudden, there's more going on in my emotions than just her. Number four, God retains exclusive rights to avenging evil. On the slide, it says punishing evil, but actually, I think avenging is the better word. <clears throat> God retains exclusive rights to avenging evil. Romans chapter 12, verse 19, beloved... Never avenge yourselves unless that person has really made you angry. Then, or if they've done it to you before, that's not what it says, right? It just says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. What is vengeance? Vengeance is getting revenge. Somebody has offended you. And you're going to pay him back. You're going to get your pound of flesh. How much of uh, our anger is, I have been offended. And you've hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. Did you realize that that is, that is never appropriate? Never, 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 ever appropriate? God says, Revenge, paying people back for uh, hurting other people, that's my business. Mine alone. I, and he will. I will repay, says the Lord. There is no evil that's been done to you that God will not uh, punish and avenge. But that's not, it's never for us to get, look for our pound of flesh. What do you think about that? <laughs> Have you ever been angry and sought to avenge, sought to punish that person? Now, God does delegate some of his um, authority to punish evil to governments and their proxies, to parents and to the church. But it's not vengeance. It's to tamp evil down and it's to... Um, 
teach us that uh, life is not found in doing bad things. But vengeance, an, ang an anger that wants to uh, pay somebody back, that we have to say no to. So what do we do? We take it to the Lord and we pray. And what happens, though, if people are hurting us and they're hurting us repeatedly? Well, we can speak the truth in love and we can pray and we can remove ourselves uh, from the situation and we can appeal to those who have the authority to punish evil, to protect us, but we can't go become vigilantes. Finally, your relationship to the gospel determines whether God's anger will fall on your back or on Jesus' back. God's anger will be poured out. His wrath will be satisfied. And it's either going to be poured out on Christ's back or it's going to be poured out on your back. And the choice is yours. Revelation chapter 14, just a few verses earlier, in verse 6 we read, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. The gospel is for everyone. There is nobody who is going to be reconciled to God uh, in a way other than through faith in God's Son, Jesus. And he said with a loud voice, there they go, eh? loud voices, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Why fear God? Why worship Him? Because judgment's coming. And the good news is, we can escape the judgment of God if we will repent of our sins and put our faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. God, uh, Jesus, paid the penalty for the sins of the whole world. In other words, His death is sufficient payment for the sins of the whole world. But only those who repent and believe benefit from Christ's sacrifice. <clears throat> I have sinned many, many, many times, and my sin has rightfully angered God. And God's anger for my sins, praise God, it has already been satisfied by Christ's death upon the cross. And that is available to everyone. I am not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, God says. We can all find peace with all God. We can all be reconciled to God. We don't have to experience the wrath of God. The choice is ours. If we... If we refuse to obey the gospel and we say no thank you to God's gift in Jesus Christ, then that great day of wrath will come and we will be trodden upon in the winepress of God's fury and it will be destruction for us. Today's Advent theme is peace. And Behind peace is the idea that there's conflict possible. And with God, uh, everyone, because of sin, is in conflict with God until they turn in faith to Jesus, His Son. And then the wrath of God is poured out on Christ, 
Our sins are taken away as far as the east is from the west, remembered no more, and there is peace with God. Let's pray.